and that is the blessed hope. It's not just some, I hope one day he comes. No, no, he is coming. <laughs> it's not a matter of if he comes, it's a matter of just simply when. Um, he is coming, and I'm grateful for that truth. Uh, could be tonight. Might even be before I'm done with this sermon. I hope not, because I want to want to share it but hey you know you're hoping that it's so that i don't have to listen to another sermon uh no i i appreciate this particular topic that we're going to be studying tonight and uh to start with if you turn in your bible to daniel the book of daniel chapter number four and i hope you brought a pen tonight and uh my microphone thank you for the reminder on that uh I hope you brought a pen tonight so that you can write down a lot of references. I'm going to be giving a lot of references. There's a lot more that I could give, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll leave it with what I have. Uh, but Dan, Daniel chapter number four, the context of this is uh, right. Okay, remember Daniel chapter three is where we have uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who uh, we're told to bow down with everybody else at the sound of all the music to the uh, large statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. Well, they, they said, we're not going to do that. The only one we're going to bow down to is the Lord. And they said, we're not going to bow. And it uh, got everybody upset and uh, got brought right to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they got thrown in the fiery furnace and... The three went in there, but Nebuchadnezzar was looking through and saw four, and the fourth one was uh, looked like the Son of God. Well, it was. Uh, it was Jesus who went in there with them, and and they came out, and and he had a uh, he had kind of a little bit of a revival, but uh, but it wasn't it wasn't exactly heartfelt. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar still had pride in his life, and chapter four is he has this dream. And uh, Daniel uh, interprets the dream and basically says, hey, you're going to be like a beast and you're going to be humbled and uh, God's going to really humble you, all right? And you maybe have heard as a Christian, you know, either, either humble yourself or God will have to do it for you and it's always better to humble yourself than rather to, than to have God do it for you. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is a vivid example of that uh, because he did end up becoming, as verse 32 says here, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 33, the same hour the thing uh, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And so this was, he be, ended up looking and, and acting like a beast. Uh, but for the longest time leading up to that, he was the king of the world. He was the most powerful person on the planet, and, and yet the Lord had to humble him because he was just so lifted up in pride and thought everything revolved around him when it did not. It revolved around the Lord. Well, verse 34 and 35 is our text tonight when it comes to the sovereignty of God. Verse 34, At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever. And here, here's the, the part of this passage that deals with the sovereignty of God, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And uh, with that, let's have a real brief word of prayer, and we'll get into our message tonight. Lord, we thank you for the service thus far. Thank you, Lord, for our missionaries and for the shipments. And Lord, I do want to pray for them as they make, have to make some difficult decisions down the road. Um, Lord, I also pray now as we look into your word and study this um, very important topic on the sovereignty of God, that you would help us to receive it and apply it into our own individual lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So tonight, uh, as we continue our study in the doctrines of the Bible, the major doctrines of the Bible, we were going to get into Christology, but uh, I was looking into this and I thought, you know, this is something very important and actually uh, a attribute or a characteristic of our God that has been the subject of much debate for centuries and even still to this day. Uh, there's a lot of uh, debate on the sovereignty of God and what that looks like, and, 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 and there's people who are on certain sides of the, uh, the, the uh, debate, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get into that part in a little bit. But, but this, also, this particular characteristic of God can cause great comfort and uh, can cause us to really appreciate our God in, in a deeper way. Now, while the word sovereignty is not in the Bible... The principle most definitely is. And tonight we started with uh, Nebuchadnezzar's testimony that uh, God, uh, can, God is going to do according to his will in the army of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. So uh, God is sovereign. Now to start with, here's another passage that describes God's sovereignty, and it's found in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah 46, 9 and 11 says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. And so he says, look, I have a plan and it's going to come to pass. Now, what does it mean when we say that God is sovereign? And what does that mean for my life? Well, let's go ahead and jump into it uh, tonight. First of all, uh, the sovereignty of God means that he is the authority in charge. God is the authority in charge. And one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar learned was that God was the almighty authority in charge. And for the longest time, Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was the authority in charge and what he said went. And, and to a point, that was, that was the case in the kingdom. You know, he said, hey, uh, you go and do this. They went and did it. But ultimately, over even Nebuchadnezzar, God is the ultimate authority in charge. God is on the throne of heaven and earth. He rules and reigns. Now, I realize, I'll do a quick aside here. Now, I realize that the Bible does say that Satan is the little God 
of this world. And so he has been given some authority, some power by God for a season. I'm looking forward to the day when that is taken away from him forever. Uh, But uh, ultimately, even over Satan, God is still on the throne of heaven and earth. He rules and reigns. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has the right to tell us what to do. You know, if somebody tells you what to do, you're like, who do you think you are? You may want to do that little snap thing. <laughs> um, who do you think you are? Who made you king? Who died and made you boss, you know? And maybe you've heard that uh, particular phrase. Well, here's the deal. God has the authority to tell us what to do. Uh, oh, yeah, Lord? Well, who do you think you... Oh, you're God? Okay. So, yes, you do have the right to tell me what to do. So he's the authority in charge. Here's a few references for you, and I'm going to read these verses, and there's several here, so bear with me. But 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 12. 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 12 says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. He says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Isn't that a beautiful uh, description of who God is? that David gave there in 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 12, in case you didn't write the reference down. That's worthy of looking up and reading and maybe even uh, memorizing that as a prayer to the Lord. And it'd be good for us in our own private prayer time to pray that same prayer. And Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. It's powerful. It's wonderful. And it's true. Uh, here's another reference, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And most of us are familiar with this one. It says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, he is the authority in charge. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came. And spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Psalm 24, 9 through 10 says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. See, He is the one in charge, and He is our authority. Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Uh, There's not not an entity or a being that is over the Lord. See, God is over all. He's even over government. Aren't you glad for that? (laughs) Um. 
1 Timothy 1.17 says this, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the King. And 1 Timothy 6.15, Who in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only pontitate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. A few more here. Revelation 19.6 and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God, omnipotent, reigneth. He is the one in charge. Revelation 19.16 says, He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords psalm 115 verse 3 but our god is in the heavens he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased see he is the authority in charge a couple more here psalm 22 verse 28 for the kingdom is the lord's and he is the governor among the nations you say joe biden's in charge of this country First of all, that's, you know, don't laugh too hard. I know that's, that wasn't exactly a joke, but I know that sometimes it can seem like it. Um, he's not really the one in charge. The Lord is still in charge. He is the authority in charge. He is the king of kings, and he rules and reigns as the great sovereign God. Why? Because he is the creator. He owns it all. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Psalm 89, verse 11, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. So because he is the authority in charge, what should my response be? What should your response be? It should be submission to the Lord. We should not go, well, that's nice, Lord that you say that about my life, but uh, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. No, he is the authority in charge. He does have the right to tell me what to do, and he is the owner, he is the creator, and uh, he is the king of kings, lord of lords, and uh, his kingdom's rule over all. So I should submit to him. And yet the book of Luke 6, verse 46, Luke 6, 46 says, Why call ye me? Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. If he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. Now, he does desire and deserve to be Lord of all. And I want to encourage you to allow him to be Lord of all in your life. You say, well, no, no, he's, he's my Lord and he saved me, but I have restricted him from some areas in my life. There are some areas that are kind of like off limits. I've, I've closed that door and I've locked it and no, 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 he can't have it. Is he really then Lord of all of your life? I want to encourage us to allow him to have access and to have authority over every area of our life. By the way, he deserves it, 
and I don't need to prove that to you. I think I've already given enough scripture to say that he deserves that right. So my response should be submission. And I want to remind us tonight that a spirit of rebellion, according to the word of God, is still as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as idolatry. Now, the Shipmans are missionaries to Germany, and I've mentioned a few times since I've been here, but I am mostly German. I'm five-eighths German. My mom was 100% German. She was born in Germany, and uh, so I have all of her, and then my dad was a fourth, um, a fourth German, so I'm five-eighths German, and uh Germans are notorious for being stubborn. How many other Germans do we have in the room tonight? Okay. Yes. And those who are raising your hands, I can tell. Okay, very good. <laughs> hey, Brother Gary, you got to be your German. I know it. Okay. There's some, there's some Germans in this room. I, I just know it. Look, just because we are German or whatever, look, we need to still remember when it comes to the Lord and our relationship with Him, okay, stubbornness is not a virtue when it comes to our relationship with God. God's trying to get us to change and to do some things, and no, I'm German. Don't you know? You made me German, so therefore I have an excuse. No, we don't. Rebellion is still as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as idolatry. Now, a rebellion towards human authority is ultimately a rebellion towards God as well, because he was the one who placed them in authority. Romans 13.1, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Uh, when uh, Christian Herder, and I've shared this um, illustration before, but it's been a while, so it's, it's time to bring it back out again. When Christian Herder was governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. Uh, one day, after a busy morning chasing votes and having no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon, and Herder was famished. So he moved down the uh, serving line. He held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She would put a piece of chicken on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herter said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. Give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starving, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said. Only one to a customer. Governor Herter was a modest and unassuming man, but he decided that this time he would throw a little weight around. He said, do you know who I am? He said, I am the governor of this state. And she said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Now move along, mister. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good one. Um, so there you go, Mrs. Stino. There's an encouragement for you, okay? So <laughs> I'm running for the state house. Well, good for you. Move along. <laughs> so, 
And then the other illustration here is the, uh, the captain of the ship looked into the dark night, saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told the signalmen to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, promptly a return message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman 3rd Class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would evoke, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. Uh, see, the thing is, is you can try to argue with God all you want, but he ultimately is the one in charge. You can say, well, you need to change your word. Guess what? He's not going to change his word. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his word is forever settled in heaven, and uh, your argument is going to go nowhere. So you might as well just simply submit and, and, and stop fighting him. And really, the only way to really win this battle is to surrender to his authority. You say, well, I'm not going to give in to his his desires for my life. I'm going to hold on to my desires. Fine. But who is the one that, you, that ends up losing in the long run? I do, if that's my mentality. But when I surrender to him and I say, Lord, I, I want to do what you want, and your word tells me to change this in my life, and I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I, it doesn't feel right, but I, I'm going to follow you by faith, and, and I'm going to surrender this to you. Guess who ends up winning in the long run? I do. See, when we let him win, we win. But when we force our way, we ultimately end up losing. Say, hey, look, I got away with it. God didn't make me do it. Look at me, I'm fine. Ultimately, we end up losing out. The nation of Israel, let me see if I can find it real quickly. It's in Psalm. Um, see, if I find it, I want, I'm going to have you turn to it. I think it's Psalm 10-something. There it is, Psalm 106, verse 14. We'll pick it up here in verse 13. The nation of Israel, this is a record of a kind of a summary of their history. Psalm 106, verse 13, they soon forgot his works. Talking about God, they, they, they forgot what God had done. They just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And it was so long ago, they forgot all about it. They forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the wilderness. But here it is, verse 15. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. So they won. They got their request. They got their desires. They got their lust fulfilled. They won. But then at the verse, end of verse 15, it says, but as a result, God sent leanness into their soul. Ultimately, they lost. And so we need to, tonight, remember that God is the authority in charge, and our response to ought to be, Lord, you're the one in charge. I'm going to submit to your authority. I'm going to submit to your leadership. I'm not going to fight you anymore. In any area, I'm going to give in to you. And when you do, 
you're the one that ends up winning. But when you say, nope, I'm not going to do it. I want to do my own thing. Well, he might give you your request, but as a result, send leanness into your soul. And I know we all want to be lean, mean, you know, Christian machines, uh, but uh, leanness here is not a good thing. This is a, this is a wanting, a, a, an emptiness. So he is the authority in charge, and as a result of that, we ought to submit to him. Notice number two here tonight as we make our way through this difficult concept of God's sovereignty. Number two, he is always in control. So God's sovereignty means that he is the authority in charge, but that he is secondly always in control. Aren't you thankful that there has never been a time, and there never will be a time, when God is not in control of everything. God's not in, on the throne, and uh, he's not sitting there and uh, looking at the gas prices going, are you serious? <sighs> Angels, what has happened down there? <sighs> Whose fault is heads are going to roll? Okay. That's not, that's not God. Right? He's in control and complete control. And, and we all wish that heads would roll so that we get our gas prices back down to a reasonable amount. Uh, but that's not how the way God works. He is in complete control of everything. And there's never been a time when it's like, oh, World War II. Oh, no, there's a lot, a lot of craziness going on right now. Yeah, God was in complete control of that. And, you know, when Joe Biden ended up winning this election, even though all the craziness and drama surrounding all that, well, God was in control of all that, too. Now, that doesn't mean that he foreordained it and made it happen. But he and this is this is where it gets a little difficult to wrap our heads around God's sovereignty. And we'll 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 cover that in here in just a minute. But let me just. Bring it back here to this thought. He is always in control. Okay, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. We have looked at this recently as we've made our way through the book of Colossians on Sunday nights. But Colossians 1, 15 says, Who is the, talking about Christ, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So He is in control of His creation. And without Him, we wouldn't consist. Okay, Romans 8, 28, uh, a verse that most of us are familiar with, we, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Okay, and we do need to be reminded of that last part of the verse there. Usually all we say is we know that all things work together for good. But there is the last part of the verse there because there is a condition. It's not just for everybody, okay? It's for them, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, to those who keep his commandments, those who are following him. So we know that all things work together for good. 
And God is able to make all that happen. We have that confidence. We know it. We have that assurance. All right. Uh, Next one, Ecclesiastes 7.13. Consider the work of God. Solomon said, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? He, he made it crooked. Go ahead and try to straighten it out all you want. It, it's meant to be crooked. Okay, and you just take even our own bodies. And all of us have things that, you know, when you're growing up as a teenager, you're like, man, why can't I have a smaller nose? Bigger ears, smaller ears, more hair. Okay, I know you were all thinking it. Okay, <laughs> so I'll just go ahead and say it to get that out of the way. Um, I wish I was taller. I wish I was shorter. I wish I had smaller muscles. That's something I used to say. You know, so big. Um, no, I mean you, you. You get the idea, right? God made you the way He made you, and and you can't. You can't change it. Oh, yeah, you can. You can go get a surgery and have that, you know. You can do that. But look, God made you crooked in some ways. Some of you, he made you tall, short, um, horizontally gifted, (laughs) Um, whatever. Um, and, And look, that's... That's the way God made you, and praise the Lord for it, right? All right, and, you, you, you know, he's in control of all that, and, and you can try to straighten it up, but it, it, you, who can do it? Acts 17, uh, 24 and 25 is another reference. This is Paul's sermon on, the, on Mars Hill there in Athens. And he said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Um, see, he is in charge and uh, he's in control. Yes, the Bible is clear that he's in complete control of everything that goes on in this universe, and that includes everything that goes on in your life. The good, the bad, and everything in between, God is in complete control. So what should my response be to the fact that God is always in control? trust okay so first we're to submit to the to god who is the authority in charge now we're to trust god who is always in control trust him he is a good god we sang about that a moment ago god is so good you probably don't really want me to sing a solo here but he is so good he's so good to me and not always is it going to be Again, like Psalm 23 says, it's not always he going to take me by the still waters and the green pastures. Sometimes there's going to be a valley, but even in the valley, he's good. He's good all the time. All the time, God is good. So he's a good God, and his plan is perfect even when you don't think so. So stop trying to take control of your life. Let him lead. Um. Maybe you've seen uh, that bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. Um, I think we probably actually need to get out of the co-pilot and just let him be the pilot and us get in the back seat and just trust him to take us where we need to go. Um, 
you know, my, my wife's not in here. I wish she was because she would laugh as I say this. But ever since we've been married, and, and maybe she's not the only wife who has ever done this, but she sits in the passenger seat, and I'm driving along. This has happened this, happened this week. We're driving along, and I have my foot on the brake. I don't want to slam it. But she feels like we need to be pushing the brake right now. Okay. Okay. So there. So this is this is a this is an epidemic. This is a pandemic. <laughs> but so she she's kind of like pushing the imaginary brake, and she's grabbing on for dear life. And I'm like, honey, I have my foot on the brake. Do you really want me to slam it right now? And uh, and she's like, okay, I know. I just. You have a steering wheel to hold on to. I don't have anything to hold on to, so I need to grab onto something. And she just, it's just kind of like, I guess, re, uh, like a knee-jerk reaction for her to, and it is like a knee-jerk reaction, like literally, um, that she pushes the, um, and she, she does that from time to time. And I'm like, hey, just trust me. I'm a pretty good driver. Okay, not really the best driver, Okay. Miss Shirley can testify that I'm not the best driver, okay? And uh, Faith would not say amen to the fact that I'm a great driver. I know that. I know. But anyway, uh, God is the perfect driver, right? And we can trust him and stop trying to say, well, you know, can I just gra- grab onto the steering wheel? Because I actually think I know where we should go better than you do, God. And, and Luke is, is driving now, and, or he's got his permit, and he always wants to drive. And I just assume to drive myself because he drives kind of like a grandma. Okay, no offense to the grandmas out there. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's keep moving, bud. <laughs> and I want to I take it. But the thing is, is look, okay, God is in control, so let's trust him that he actually does know how fast and the direction that we should go for our good and within his will. So trust, not not easy to do. Let go of the steering wheel. Let him take control of your life. Let him lead you and guide you. There's a beautiful song. Uh, He leadeth me. He leadeth me by his own hand. He leadeth me. Because of that, his faithful follower I would be. For by his hand he leadeth me. There's a verse in Nahum. This is not a very common book of the Bible to hear verses from. But uh, the book of Nahum, Nahum chapter 1 verse 3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. And the last part of this verse is very interesting. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So he has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. You and I, when we see the storm come, we get all panicky and we want to take over and say, lead us out of this storm. But God has a purpose and a plan for that storm. He has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. So when those storms come, just trust him. Just trust him. I'm reminded of the disciples as they were on that ship with Jesus there in Mark chapter 4. We studied it several months ago uh, as we made our way through that chapter. 
But remember they were in that storm, storm in the ship and Jesus is sleeping on a pillow. And uh, I love that. If Jesus takes naps, so can I. Praise the Lord. Uh, but I'm just trying to follow his example, walk in his steps, um, trying to be spiritual, right? But, but those disciples, what did they do? They woke him up and assinu- insinuated that Jesus did not care about them. Carest thou not that we perish? Take us out of this storm. And all the while, God, Jesus was allowing that storm to take place. Uh, to accomplish his purposes. Uh, This does beg the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? The answer is, that's actually the wrong question to ask. Because you see, that question insinuates that there are actually good people. (laughs) When, When reality, according to the word of God, all of us are bad. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. As is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We were born this way. Um, Psalm 58, 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. So here's the correct question to ask. Why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Because all of us would be considered bad people according to the Word of God. Now, I understand we're not talking about, you know, sometimes it's like, how come somebody who is trying to do what's right and and, uh, something bad happens to them, why does that happen? And I understand the concept of that. I'm not trying to blow that out of the water with this this, concept. idea here, but at the same time, when you boil it down, it is pretty amazing that God would do good things to bad people and to allow us to have a home in heaven, to show us his love and his grace. Why would God do that? I mean, it is a little bit beyond me. I'm thankful for it. I'm not going to reject it. I'm going to accept it, but at the same time, it is pretty amazing that God would love us even though we are sinners and we are his enemies. Um, now, at the same point, I do understand that sometimes bad things do happen and the circumstances of life are less than ideal. Um, why does God allow that? I don't know. God has reasons. Um, we don't always know what they are this side of heaven, and we may never know. And by the way, God doesn't owe us an explanation. God doesn't have to explain himself to us. He's God. Uh, But sometimes he does show us down the road why something happened in our life or at least a reason uh, why something happened in the past. And uh, we kind of understand it a little bit better and by and by and and, uh, in glory. uh, We may understand it a lot better by and by. Um, I don't know that we'll have the full picture. I don't know if God will uh, make us privy to everything that happened in our life and all the reasons for it. But God does have reasons, and we need to trust Him with that. C.H. Uh, Persian said this about God's sovereignty, There is no attribute more comforting to His children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe trials, 
They believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought to more earnestly contend to than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne, for it is God upon the throne whom we trust. Again, the response that we should have to this idea that God is always in control is to trust him. To not try to take the steering wheel from him and say, you know what? Can you, can you be my co-pilot? I'd rather you sit over there and let me lead because I have a feeling I know how to do this a little better. Now, obviously, we're wrong, but don't we feel like that sometimes? We feel like kind of kicking him out and saying, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you saved me, but can I take over for a while? You can be in charge of taking me to heaven. Let me be in charge of my life. You can be in charge of giving me forgiveness of sins and blessing my life, but as far as leading me, you know what? Can I take, take over in that way? Because I feel like I'm a little better driver than you. Now, again, n- no one would say that to his face, but do we feel that way sometimes? I do. Here's a young woman named Ann Steele. She had encountered one trial and disappointment after another. Her mother died when she was just three years old. And when she was 19, she suffered a severe hip injury that left her an invalid. Well, eventually she fell in love and was engaged to be married. But wouldn't you know it, the day before her wedding, her fiancé drowned and died. Later, Anne Still penned the following song. The words of that song go, Father, whate'er of earthly bliss thy sovereign will denies, accept it at thy throne of grace, let this petition rise. Give me a calm, a thankful heart, from every murmur free, the blessing of thy grace impart, and make me live to thee. That's some real maturity right there, isn't it? Most of us would get bitter at God and have this bitterness in our hearts. I can't help but think of Naomi in the book of Ruth who just got so bitter and upset at God. And then she turned that around toward the end of the book and I'm thankful and she said, you can call me Naomi again. I'm not bitter anymore. But here this this young lady had this real spiritual maturity, and she trusted the fact that God was in control of even those terrible circumstances in her life. Psalm 37, verse number 23, the Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I've been reminded of that verse so many times throughout my life where, you know, I end up going somewhere and then all of a sudden I run into some, I bump into somebody and it's like a divine appointment. And you're like, the Lord directed my steps in that one. And in just so many different ways. I mean, guiding our family here, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And I'm not saying I'm a good man. I'm saying I'm trying to follow the Lord, but you can see how he has ordered 
my, my steps, I've seen how he's ordered my steps throughout my life and, and for you too, even, even to be a part of this church family. Uh, it's pretty neat how the Lord has orchestrated all of it. So we are to trust him. And by the way, not fret because of the circumstances. I know things may look grim in the future. But here's a reminder for you tonight. God is always in control. <laughs> so we may not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And we know that the one who holds tomorrow is in complete control. And he's not going to panic or fret or worry or bite his nails or pull his hair out because things are a little chaotic. He's in complete control. There's one more which we're going to wait on, but uh, let me give it to you, and then we'll expound on it next time we meet, which will be in a couple weeks, because uh, next week is VBS. But number three is he allows us to choose. That way you can fill out your outline. So just in a, in a super fast nutshell, and this requires quite a bit of expansion, but while God is the authority in charge and always in control, he still allows us to choose. And uh, let, that, let that sink in for a little bit. And we'll talk more about that next time, but let's pray. And uh, we'll uh, look at some prayer requests tonight. Lord, thank you for 